Okay, so we're in a series called Christians with Addictions. Christians with Addictions. This comes from Psalm 51. And um, it's whenever David finally was confronted by his friend Nathan on some things that had gone wrong in his life. And David decided to deal with it. And every sermon in the series starts with the letter R. And so last Sunday, the title of the sermon was Recognize. Recognize that you have problems. Recognize that you need Jesus. Recognize that you're sick. And it's very important to recognize we're sick because Jesus said he didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick people. So it's very important you recognize that. Part two today, we're going to talk about responsibility. Responsibility. I have no idea what to do with my hands or my arms when I'm sitting down. I feel so awkward right now. I just don't know about what I should be doing. Um, I'm just going to, I don't even know. But anyway, so we have to, we have to recognize that there's a problem. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, man, that was funny. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I should have done that at first service. That was so funny. That was so funny. That was funny. Anyway, y'all can't pay attention to nothing now, can you? Okay, I'm going to preach. We have to recognize, we have to recognize that there's a problem. And we have to take responsibility for our problems in life. David said in Psalm 51, 1 through 4, wash me from my iniquity. He never mentioned Bathsheba in the whole chapter. Blot out my transgressions. He never mentioned the fact that his parents rejected him when he was a child. Wash away my evil. Cleanse me from my sin. He never once played the blame game. In every problem, in every issue, with every attitude, you have some sort of responsibility. Even the way you respond. I've heard people say, I did nothing wrong. They did this, 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 and this. Okay, how well did you forgive them when they did that? How well did you not talk about them and tell somebody, can you believe they did this to me? We all have responsibility in every issue that we face and we'll never succeed in the areas that we refuse to take responsibility in. And you might notice things in your life that keep happening over and over and over and over. And at some point you have to recognize, this could be my fault. There could be something that I'm not, rec- that I'm not taking responsibility for in my life. It started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.11. God said to Adam, did you eat from the fruit I told you not to eat from? Now, it would be so great if Adam said, yes, I did. And I am so sorry that I did that. He did. He did what every man in this room does in verse 12. It was the woman. She's the one that taught me into it. And by the way, God, you gave her to me. He didn't just blame his wife. He blamed God for bringing the wife into his life. So it's very comical. God turns to the woman in verse 13 and says, what have you done? She said, it was the snake. The snake tricked me. And since then, we blame our parents. We blame our past. We blame our circumstances. We blame the way people treat us. We blame what we didn't get. We blame the government. And if nothing else works, we do just like Eve. It was the devil's fault. I had a friend that I used to, every Saturday I'd invite him to church, but every, every Sunday his excuse was, the devil made me sleep in. And he was serious. So funny, the devil never made him sleep in Monday through Friday at work. The devil only made him sleep in on Sunday morning. So we have to take ownership of this stuff. We will never heal if we don't. I have a little analogy, a little illustration I want to give you. And um, it's, a, it's a pie chart here. And over the years, I've used this whenever maybe a, a people or couples or someone come to me with, with strife in their life. And um, because in every problem you face, in every issue, in every whatever's going on, you have to accept some piece of the pie. 
It's never 100% somebody else. Never, ever. I've never seen ever anyone who can honestly say it was 100% them. I did nothing wrong. The amount of pie that you take from that issue or that problem is also going to determine the amount of healing that you face in the future. Because you can't do anything about the other person. Let's say it was 50% them. Okay, listen, you can't do nothing about that. The only thing that you can change is say, Jesus, I need you to change this part. I, I, I recognize there was some pride in this. I had some pride in my life. Take that piece to Jesus. He'll say, okay, I'll start healing you. I recognize there was a little bit of jealousy. And then, you know what? I did cuss them out afterwards. Or I did, you know, I, I put this thing on Facebook. Um, I didn't say their name, but I think everyone kind of knows who I'm talking about and what I'm going through. So funny, people use Facebook. It's so hilarious when y'all put stuff on Facebook. I don't even have Facebook anymore, but I know you do it. And you think nobody knows what you're talking about. We all know what you're talking about, okay? We all know that you put that poem on Facebook because of the, we all know whatever it was. And so whatever piece of the you take you're saying Jesus I need you to help me in that area now if you'll do this then when it happens again it'll get easier for you to go through it'll be less pain it'll be less you know difficulty see some of you're going through the same pain in every relationship you're in because you think it's all them you're married five times because you think it was maybe you're just not good at picking spouses I don't know but you got to have some piece of it you got to have some piece of it it can't always be somebody else if you don't if you keep losing your job every year you got to claim something right I think we call it crow's pie is that what they call it you got to eat some kind of is that what it crow's pie hump humble you eat crow whatever pecan pie I don't care but anyway <laughs> if you don't if every year you lose your job could there be something that you need to own? Could there be something going on in your life? If you get mad and you lose your temper, and say, well, they shouldn't have done this. That's why I lose my temper. No, 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 no. You chose to lose your temper. You allow this thing to agitate you and disturb you. You understand what I'm saying? So anytime you get in a fight with somebody, you should always bring this out. Say, listen, I'll tell you what. I'll own half of it if you own half of it, right? Here's my half. I was a jerk. I was being selfish. I said this just to get back at you. You know, I feel this way and this da-da-da. And the, I'll tell you this. If it's someone you love, the more pie you eat, the more pie they're willing to eat. Even in conflict with your children. I learned as I was raising my kids. You know, even in that, those times, I said, you know what? Daddy shouldn't have yelled. And, and I should have sat you down. I should have dealt with this differently. And when I was your age, you know, I actually did da-da-da. And you know, when I do that, you know what they're like? Well, you know what? I guess I could have handled this differently, and I guess I shouldn't have done that. On and on. The more humble you are, the more humble the other person always is. But we don't do that. We're so defensive. It's all you. And they're thinking, well, you know what? It's all you. And then you all just go back and forth, and nobody ever changes, and you keep going through it over and over again. So you can't do anything about it. Wouldn't it be so sad if every problem you faced in life was somebody else's fault? Because, you know, there's always going to be a human being somewhere around, I guess, I guess you can't fulfill your destiny because it's always somebody else. In every excuse you have, you're actually saying that is bigger than God. That problem, that reason, whatever, it is greater than God. Okay, so I have three points for you today. They all have the letter R in them. Point number one is this. Reject excuses. Reject excuses. Everybody's favorite phrase is, it's not my fault. Man, you look on the internet, it's always Donald Trump's fault. 
right? And then it's always Joe Biden's fault. Then it's always the government's fault. Then it's always, maybe you need to turn the news off. Maybe that's your problem. <laughs> Except that piece of the pie. I'm negative because of the way they treated me at work. Uh, I'm, I'm depressed because my parents left me when I was, I do drugs because this person invited me to do drugs and that's why I'm a drug addict. Okay, um, I want to teach you the difference between explanation and excuse. It is okay for you to have an explanation for why you are where you are. It's not okay for that explanation to be an excuse for why you stay that way the rest of your life. Proverbs 26, 2 says this, the curse doesn't come without a cause. In other words, there's a reason you can't be healthy in a relationship. There's a reason you keep losing your job. There's a reason you keep losing your, temple, your, your temper. And you can give me all the explanations you want to, and that's fine as long as you realize it's not an excuse. And here's why. Deuteronomy 30.19 says you get the choice if you want the curse. After it comes your way, you can choose to step out of it. You can choose to make a different decision. So why are you not where you're supposed to be in God today? In other words, why are you? Because if I, if I pulled all of you at the doors on the way out and I said, are, are you where you're supposed to be in your marriage? Are you where you're supposed to be in your relationship with Jesus? Are you where you're supposed to be in, in your level of serving God? Are you using your gifts and talents fully? What is the reason? You'd have so many excuses. So I want to go through some excuses that were in the Bible, and we'll see if they're good enough excuses or not, right? Okay. Abraham said in Genesis 17, 17, how can I become a father? I'm too old. I've heard that one before. I just can't serve God anymore. Jump out on the energy. I'm too old. But yet in Genesis 21, 2, Sarah bore a son to Abraham even in his old age. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 1.6, I'm too young. Jeremiah 1.9, God said, but I'm going to give you the words to speak. And he went out and spoke it. Gideon said, I don't have the money and I'm not very popular. No one's ever going to follow me into battle. I'm the poorest in Manasseh. I'm the least important. Judges 7.20, all the people shouted, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Joseph said, it's the government's fault. It's the president. That's why I don't have money. That's why I'm not happy. In Genesis 39, 20, he was put in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But yet in Genesis 41, 40, the Lord was with him, and the king put Joseph in charge over all of Egypt. In other words, it's not important who's against you. What's important is, is the Lord with you? Because if the Lord's with you at that job, if the Lord's with you in that relationship, if the Lord's with you where you're at, then none of the other stuff matters because he's greater than any excuse you could ever have. I'm trying to get you to see there's only one person in the world that can stop you from fulfilling your destiny, and it's you. It's not the devil. At some point, you got to look in the mirror. If we can't take responsibility, God will never give us responsibility. You know, I, I, we have people that come through our church every now and then. We, we're looking for, you know, a, a worship leader to oversee the whole music department, so I don't have to do that. And, you know, stuff to help with youth. There's so many talented people that never take responsibility. I mean, they're so full of talent. They got gifts. But if you say to them, I said, oh, oh, why did you, you know, I asked you to court out this song this way, but you did it a different way. Well, that's just how my other church did it. And they're okay with it. Well, but that's not what we asked you to do. Well, it's this person's fault because you didn't give me that. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you can't take any responsibility, how is God ever going to trust you with anything? I've heard the excuse from people, and I hear it all the time because I, I love inviting people to church. I don't tell them I'm a pastor. I do tell them how great the pastor is, though, and how much they would enjoy it, but I never, I say, he's easy on the eyes, you'll love me, so funny, and um, I don't tell him I'm the pastor, but they'll always, a lot of them say this to me, man, if I walked in church, hell would freeze over, God, God, it just wouldn't work, what they're saying is, my sin is so great, 
God couldn't use me. In Joshua 2.1, there was a prostitute named Rahab. But in Matthew 1, 5 and 16, when it goes to the lineage of Jesus Christ, Boaz was the mother of Rahab, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so. Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. If God can let a prostitute be used by him, surely anybody should be welcome in this place, right? Okay, what about if you're the minority? 2 Kings 18, it says that King Hezekiah was surrounded and outnumbered by the Assyrian army. Oh, it's because I'm a minority. It's because I'm a Christian and I work around all these non-Christians. Oh, John Paul, you don't know how bad it is to be a Christian surrounded by all these evil people. You must work at the 501 Walmart. Oh, my God, it's so bad. I'm just kidding. Or I'm, a, I'm handicapped. You know, I'm in a wheelchair, I'm deaf, I'm blind, whatever the problem is. Or um, I'm poor, or um, there was another good minority I was thinking, what was it? Um, Oh, I'm a woman in a man's world. I've heard that so many times. You know, it's all about men climb the corporate ladder quicker than I do. 2 Kings 19.35, that night just one angel took care of every single enemy that they had. 185, It's, it's it's not important who's against you, it's important who's for you. Excuses allow us to justify where we are. You got to admit, that's really why you use it, right? When somebody says, well, why, why have you been married five times? Or why, why don't you have a job? Or why do you never have any money? Why are you always asking people for money? What and you use this excuse, which is pretty much saying, that's why I am the way I am, which is fine. Don't let that be the reason that you stay there. Uh, excuses give us permission to settle for less than God's best. That's why you got to reject them. You got to get rid of them. Um, what about, and I, I know that you, if, if I felt this inside, I know you have as well. The reason I'm not where I'm supposed to be is just because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not a good child of God. My relationship with Jesus is just not, I don't pray like I should. I don't, I don't do like I should. And my thought life isn't what it should be. Matthew 26, 74 says this. It says, um, Peter denied Jesus. Now, none of you, I don't think, have had a more horrible relationship with Jesus than in the point where he needed a friend more than ever. Blood's pouring down his face, and one of his best friends says, I don't know who he is, swore to them, cursing. I don't know the man. And at that point, Jesus actually turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter went out and cried and cried and cried. Have you ever felt like you're just the worst Christian in the whole world? God could never use me. Acts 2.41 says this. Many believe Peter's message. And that day, 3,000 people are in heaven because Peter didn't let that horrible relationship season with Jesus stop him from doing everything God's called him to do. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for me, who dare be against me? The biggest word in that is the word if. I know you always assume God is for you, but James 4.6 says this, He opposes the proud. The reason you can't take that piece of pie is no other reason but pride. It is 100% pride. And so if you can't own any part of the pie, listen, God opposes you. If I was healthy enough, I would do like a little action scene here. You think about football and you think, well, if God opposes me and I'm prideful, then God just moves out of the way and lets me do it on my own. No, he don't move out of the way. He gets around and gets in front of you. He says, you're not going to gain one yardage in life if pride is the thing that's holding you back. Um, in talking about excuses, I was doing some, some history research, and there's a guy named Jim Thorpe. I'll put him up on the screen. He represented America in the 1912 Olympics. He was, he was a runner in track and field. On the morning of his competition, someone stole his shoes. 
He's, he's, he's representing America in the Olympics, and the day he's supposed to run track and field, someone stole his shoes. On the way to the Olympics, he sees a pair of shoes hanging out of a garbage dump. And there were two different shoes. He puts them on. One was so big he had to wear several pairs of socks on that foot. He won two gold medals in those pairs of shoes. <laughs> There's no excuse when God's on your side. If you want God to take you to the next level, the first thing you have to do is take responsibility and get rid of the excuse. Real quick, Abraham was a liar. Sarah was impatient. Ishmael was abandoned. Noah was a drunk. Moses stuttered. Miriam was a gossip. Jonah ran. Gideon was poor. Elijah was moody, bipolar. David had an affair. Peter had a temper. Paul murdered. Martha worried. Thomas doubted. Zacchaeus was short. Samson was a slut. And Lazarus was dead. And every one of them fulfilled their God-given destiny in spite of of being dead and the slut one too. In spite of it, they still fulfilled their destiny. Get rid of your excuse. Point number two is this, be real. I don't know if y'all grew up in a church like I did, but it seems like Christians are the best at being fake. I mean, they're so good at being fake. And, and this actually happened to me where I, I wore a mask for so long, I didn't even know who I was. I had been fake in this relationship because I didn't want them to think bad of me. And then I'm, we, we put on a mask when we're at church because we want to look super spiritual. Then we put on a mask when we're at work. We put on a mask when we're at home because we don't want to be fully transparent with our spouse. Because if we tell them everything we're thinking, they will never have their respect again. Masks everywhere we go. With our friends, we put on a mask. We are never... And you know, we do, we do the same thing with God. And it's funny, God can see through every single mask. Psalms 51.6, David said, you desire truth in the inner being. You know, you, you, you can fool a lot of people. You can't fool God. And until you're willing to really get real with Jesus, who can already see what's inside, but until you're willing to get real, there's no healing. There's no growth. You stay the same person year after year after year. It's so funny when I see friends from, from high school or even friends from other churches, whatever, that I've known for 10, 20, 30 years, and I'll see them after a few years, some of them are the exact same. They talk the exact same. They act the exact same. They're still gossiping about the same thing, still complaining about the same thing. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, where's the change occurring in your life? That's what happens when you wear a mask. There's never any growth. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, with our faces uncovered, we are constantly transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. God doesn't want the face, the face, the, the Facebook you. He doesn't want the fake you. He doesn't want the future you. He wants the real you right now. And man, Facebook is the biggest mask you could ever wear. We all know that y'all cuss each other out behind closed doors, and then you stop for a selfie in the middle of it and smile like everything's going great, put it on Facebook, then you go back to acting like the devil. <laughs> it should be called fake book and not, and not Facebook. So our, our, our heart is like, and I was thinking about this with all the hotels we have here in Myrtle Beach, our heart's like a giant hotel. And it's got all these rooms. And, and, and the dream that God has for our life is for every room of our heart to be filled with light. But we, we fake things for so long that we don't ever even realize that there are rooms that are actually filled with darkness. There's a room of lust. Is we don't we don't want to bring Jesus in that room. We we, we like that. It's going to stay dark. And there's a room of, of pride or jealousy. 
you know, of, of that, that, that person. You're jealous of that person's body or jealous of their car, jealous of their husband, jealous of their, their position at work. And you think, I'm a Christian. They never promote me and they keep getting promoted. And you have all these, and there's rooms that are, that are dark. And all God wants you to do is just be real and invite him into those rooms because the doorknob's on the inside. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into a room. And you think once you invite him in, you think that he's going to bring his wrath, his condemnation. He doesn't. He brings his love. He brings his change. He brings growth. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, The Lord brings to light the secret things that are hidden in darkness and exposes the motives of the heart. If there's nothing else you hear today, I want you to hear this. Satan works in the dark. He does his best work in the dark. I mean his best work. Jesus does his best work in the light. Satan wants you to live in the darkness year after year after year after year because you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, whatever it is. Jesus wants to fill that room with such light. In, in closing of my second point, I kind of found something funny, but um, I found this, this x-ray of Kermit the Frog. He went to the hospital. He was like, what's wrong with me? And they did an x-ray, and the, lo and behold, there was a hand on the inside of him the whole time. He thought, how can that? I can't believe that? You know, he, he was arguing with the doctor. This can't be right. I don't look. Okay, the truth about your heart and what's on the inside, it can be extremely painful. But John 8.32 says it's the truth that actually makes you free. It is, it is a very, very painful thing. It really is. It really is. But man, once you now, okay, so point number three is this. Rely on God. Okay, listen to me. I've been kind of leading up to this last week and today. We're focusing on the addiction, the problem, the nastiness inside of us. And I got you recognizing it and realizing what's in there and you need help. And you think, oh my goodness, I have all these problems and all these things inside. Now I have to change. Okay, guess what? God's the one that changes you. So, so once you recognize and you, and you take responsibility, it is not your job to change or grow. Don't ever think it is. If it was, we wouldn't need Jesus. Christians do not change and grow on their own. It is giving it all to God. All to God, okay? Um, Paul begged God three times to remove a problem or a struggle that was in his life. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Lord said this, I'm not going to get rid of it. This addiction that you keep praying that I get rid of, nope. This problem that you're suffering, well, nope, not going to get rid of it. This thing that causes you all this turmoil and headache, nope, 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 nope. My grace is sufficient. My power is strongest when you're weak. So Paul said, I quit focusing on the handicap, and I started seeing it as a gift. Because without this problem, I wouldn't be going to God every day. Without this problem, I wouldn't be in church. If God fixed this problem in some of y'all's lives, you'd be out on the river today on your boat. You wouldn't be in church today. The reason you're here is because you recognize you have problems. And sometimes God decides to heal us. And sometimes he says, you know what? I want to leave this in your life so you're forced to rely on me every single day. There was a guy in the Bible uh, named Jacob. His name at the time actually meant trickster, schemer, swindler. And that is just how he lived his life. He tricked his father on his dad's deathbed. Right? He deceived his brother and stole money from him. He bribed all of his enemies. And I don't think that Jacob ever realized that this is who he was. You know, sometimes we've been in a sin for so long, we don't even see it anymore. So, and I'll use pornography as an example because I talk to a lot of men 
And, and for them, it starts when they're teenagers, 13, 9, 10 years old. Their dad left a magazine sitting around, whatever it was. And, and the pornography has been in their life for decades to the point where they don't even go to God with it anymore. It's just become a part of their life. In Jacob's case, he was so good at manipulating and deceiving. He'd done it for so long, it was just who he was. He was so good at getting his way, and he had a narcissistic behavior. And if you try to tell him, no, 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 it's always somebody else's fault. He never took responsibility. And so God comes to him in Genesis 28, 12. It says Jacob stopped for the night. He was actually running from an enemy who he had tricked, right? And the sun set, and he had a dream in which he heard Led Zeppelin playing. Is that what it says up there? <clears throat> in which he saw, thank God I wasn't a highway to hell, but it was a stairway, it was a stairway to... That was good, too. <laughs> now, when you see Stairway to Heaven, you think, you, you might kind of subconsciously think, well, that's us trying to get to God. But John 151 tells us that's God sending Jesus to us. So that's a, that's a really good point right here. If you ever want to write that in your Bible, when you see, think of Stairway to Heaven, okay, God, I'm going to get to you. No, you can't do nothing without God. He's going to try to get to you. That was the point of this. And so Jacob stops and he sees the stairway to heaven in his dream. And the Lord says to him, man, I'm going to bless you like you won't even believe it. I'm going to give you and all your family this land. He was in Luz. He was in the middle of what was the promised land to come. Beautiful place. God said, your family's going to spread out northwest, east, south. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm not going to leave you. On and on, God said, I'm going to do this. 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 And Jacob woke up and he said, surely the Lord's in this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the first place in the whole Bible where we see a representation of church. Okay? Jacob called that place Bethel or Bethel, house of God. First time you see a reference to church. Now, as a side note, last week I talked to you about the pool of Bethesda. And I said that represents church. The B-T-H is the house of God. L means God. And as another side note, if any of y'all are comic book fans, uh, Superman came from the house of L. Everything in comic books started with the Bible, just so you know. And his dad was Jor-El, and he was Kyle-El. And y'all don't care at all about any of that. I see, okay, y'all could care less, could not care less, whatever. I was so excited to tell y'all that part of the sermon. That really, I was really Really excited. But anyway, so Jacob's in church, and that's where God says, I'm going to do great things in your life. Notice God didn't say, you have to do this, you have to do this. He said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do great things. And he said it in church. He said it in church. Well, Jacob leaves church that day, and um, he just goes back to his old ways. He doesn't change. He, in fact, for the next three chapters, Genesis 29, 30, and 31, he goes after women and money. More wives and more livestock. God said, I'm going to do great things in your life. He said it to him at church. And Jacob's like, okay. And he gets out and does his own thing. So finally, God shows up again in Genesis 31, 13 and says, Jacob, I'm the God of church, of Bethel, where you got saved, where you made a vow. Now leave what you're doing and get back in church, man. You got problems. You're sick. There's something you need to, you need to realize that I'm a good God and I want to bless you. You need to prepare your heart for this. Because if I give you all this stuff now, you'll lose it. So I need you to get back to a place where you can get healthy. And so one day, Jacob gets all alone. He sends his family away. He sends his servants away. He goes down by a brook. And he pretty much says, God, there's no excuse for the way I've been acting. 
for these things I've done. I can't blame anybody else. I think I have a problem. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up. It says an angel, but because angels capitalized, that's Jesus in the Old Testament. And Genesis 32, 24 says that Jacob and Jesus, they wrestled all night. Now, people have always asked me why they wrestled, and no theologian knows for a fact. My guess is that Jacob was trying to prove I can change on my own. I recognize I got problems. I recognize I, 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 need, I need to grow. I need to change. So watch me, Jesus. I can do it. I'm going to show you, Jesus, that I'm as strong as you are. I can do all, all these good things you said will happen to me. I'm going to get those good things because I'm going to be a good person. And they're wrestling. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, and it says that he knocks his hip right out of joint. Just look, you, think, you really think you're that strong? You can't breathe without me. It's interesting that the God of healing just gave a man a sickness. The God of promotion just gave a man some pain. The God who has a great plan for his life just did something to his physical body that will cause him to walk like a gangster the rest of his life. If I could, I would show you how gangsters walk. Why would God do that? Why would God take somebody and make it more difficult on them? It's because up until this point, Jacob relied on himself. I can manipulate. I can deceive. I can get whatever I want to get my way. And Jesus said, you know what? For the rest of your life, every morning you wake up, you're going to have to say, God, help me get through this day. You're now going to have to rely on me for the rest of your life. In verse 26, it says, Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And here's where everything changed. I want you to see, Jacob did nothing except for took responsibility. That's all he did, and everything changed. The angel said, what's your name? And in shock, a real, wait a minute, could I be the problem? Are you saying that all this stuff that's been going on, these people, that know the oh man, it could be me? No. No, my mom always told me I was perfect. <laughs> I always thought, no, there's no way I could have problems. He whispered, oh, Jacob, I'm a schemer, a trickster. A you know, the truth can be so painful, but it's when we take responsibility that God changes everything. In verse 28, the angel said, you're no longer called Jacob, schemer, trickster, swindler, but Israel, you see the E-L, God, right, Israel, one who still struggles. I'm not removing the struggle. But God prevails. And the angel declared a blessing on Jacob. Here's what I want you to see. Ready? Church is the place I come to rely on God because I struggle. But God always prevails. That's why I'm here. Because I got problems. But here's the good news. It's up to God to change me. I recognize it. I tell you responsibly. It's up to God. If I'm, it's up to God if He's going to give me everything. He's in the, I did my part. Now you get to change this ugly heart of mine. I wanted to close with a video. I, I like showing it to you maybe once a year or so, but it's the most beautiful example of us relying on God. It's the most beautiful picture you'll ever see of what it means to come to God broken 
and hurt and full of anger and lust and envy and malice and deceit. Say, God, I don't know what to do, but I recognize these things are in me. Can you please help me fulfill my destiny? It's the most beautiful picture that you'll ever see. It's about a father and son, Rick and Dick Hoyt, in 1962. Little Rick was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He's never been able to walk or talk, but his parents did everything they could to give him as much of a normal life as they could possibly give him. When Rick got in school, they discovered that he was actually brilliant, despite not being able to walk or talk. Scientists back in the 70s heard about how brilliant this young man was, so they invented a computer for Rick to be able to communicate simply using his eyes. When he was 15 years old, he heard about a five-mile run at his school that was to benefit another teenager who was paralyzed in a sports game. One of the first things Rick ever communicated through this computer was, I want to run in that race. You can't run. You can't even move. You're in a wheelchair. You're completely handicapped. The only thing that works is your eyes. How are you going to run in a race? So his father, who was not an athlete, trained in order to push his son in that five-mile race. When the race was over, they hooked the computer back up to Rick, and he said this, For the first time in my life, I felt alive. So his father continued to train. Up to date, they've run 66 marathons, 229 triathlons, which is 2.4 miles of swimming, 26.2 miles of running, and 112 miles of bicycling. This is a picture of what it's like to be a child of God. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the ocean? You can only come this far And who showed the moon Where to hide till
you're a Christian, then you know God has been pulling you and pushing you and carrying you and doing everything he can to get you to where you're at. If you think you can go even one step without him, you are absolutely crazy. And you know, when we get to the end of our finish line and we hold up our hands like we've done something great, you're going to realize the first second that you're in heaven that it was 0% you and 100% the grace of God. That's what it means to be a believer. So.